want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're in a series called REAL. REAL is an acronym that stands for Relevant, Engaging, Authentic Life. And we're really talking about sharing our faith and being witnesses in the world. And last week we talked about real fishermen. This week we're going to talk about engaging influencers. In other words, God gives us influence. Now this is going to be one of those wise statements that I have. God gives us influence to influence. See how wise that was? But he wants you, we're going to have to engage people. We're going to have to be engaging ourselves. So engaging influencers, and we're going to talk about it from Scripture. And God gives us two examples of influencers that we are, that we are, not just that we're like, we are. So look at Matthew chapter 5, this part of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Oh, this is just going to be so good here in a moment. I wanted to tell you right now how good that is, but I'll tell you in a moment. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor or its savor, its, its ability to influence, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing. That's where the, the phrase good, you're good for nothing came from. Never mind. You're, it's good for nothing. But to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Then look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, last week we talked about how he used the analogy of fishing to the fishermen. Now we're talking about he's using the analogies of salt and light, but he takes it a step further even, and he says this, you are, you actually are salt and you are light. So this week's message only has two points. Number one, you are salt. You are salt. He said it very clearly. How could he say you are salt? Now, I personally don't believe he was talking about the salt content in your body, although you are 0.4% salt, if you didn't know that. It would be a 0.04 if you want to think about it that way, but it is four-tenths of one. Everyone, some of you no, don't care at all. My wife, when I just said all those numbers, she had no clue, nor does she care. Um, but let me put it to you this way, okay? So I could break it down into pounds very easily. You could do that mathematically, taking your weight by 0.4. But uh, another way to do it would be by teaspoons. So if you weigh 125 pounds, you have 45 teaspoons of salt in your body. Just think about 45 teaspoons already in your body. If you weigh about 200 pounds, like some of us, then you have about 75 teaspoons of salt. So when Jesus said, you are salt, obviously that's what he was talking about, right? Of course not. He was talking about salt as an influence. It's an influence. You might not know this, but salt is mentioned more in the Bible than you might think. Even in the Old Testament, um, 
this is going to shock you, but when you gave sacrifices, and you know sacrifices were in the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, you actually had to season every sacrifice with salt. So we know that everything in the Old Testament represents something thus today. But let me show you the scriptures and then tell you what it represents. Leviticus 2.13, and every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant, notice the phrase salt of the covenant, of your God to be lacking from your grain offering with all your offerings you shall offer salt. Numbers 18, 19, all the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever, forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. Okay, so why does God say this? It's because salt preserves. It's because salt is symbolic of eternity. It is symbolic of causing something to continue to last. So he calls it a covenant of salt because he says, I'm going to preserve you. Now, hear me about this. We talk about the perseverance of the saints, but I would like to talk about the preservation of the saints. This is different. Three times, twice in the Psalms, once in Proverbs, this is where we get it, and I think we mix it up, and we say the perseverance of the saints, but it's really the preservation. Three times, twice in Psalms, once in Proverbs, God says, I preserve the souls of my saints. <laughs> that makes me feel good because it's not my sticking power, it's his staying power. It's God who preserves my soul forever. I'm gonna live forever because of Jesus Christ now. So it's a symbolic of eternity. I was sharing this with uh, Debbie, and I said, salt, and you know what salt symbolizes in the Bible? She said, I don't have any clue. I said, it, it's eternity. It, it symbolizes eternity. And she said, well, maybe that's why you and I like salt so much, <laughs> because our marriage is an eternal covenant. <laughs> yeah. See, what's funny is all the women, oh, all the men are like, yeah, who cares? Get on with the message. Come on, Come on keep going. <laughs> Get back to the salt stuff. How, how big, how much are teaspoons in our body? Okay. So salt is a preservative. Now hear me. He said, you are the salt of the world, of the earth. Listen, listen carefully. We are preserving our world from ending. We are preserving our society from decaying. The more you take Christian faith principles and morality out of society, the quicker that society will die and decay. You think about it. We took prayer out of our schools, look what's happened. We took the Ten Commandments out, look what's happened. Our society, the, the, the sooner you take the salt out, but it doesn't, I, I would love to see prayer in schools, I'd love to see all that, but there are still Christians in schools. There are still Christians in courtrooms. There could be Christians on the school board, Christians on the city council, Christians in the state legislature, and we could preserve our society because we are salt. We are salt. That's what God said. That's what Jesus said. Salt also makes things taste good. 
We make God taste good, hopefully. Some Christians are not good for anything, just to be thrown out, and it said trample on their foot. You know what they actually did with bad salt? They put it on their streets to keep grass from growing. It would kill everything you put it on. That's what bad salt does. So it's just trodden underfoot. But good salt makes God taste good. We talked last week, taste and see that the Lord is good. We can, because we're salt, we can make taste good. I remember some of the uh, mission trips. I go on like um, nice mission trips now. <laughs> nice hotels, nice cities, nice places, you know, things like that. It's, it's great. Years ago, we went, when I was serving Pastor Olin, by the way, Pastor Olin and Sybil, right here in front row, next weekend celebrate 60 years of marriage, one of our apostolic elders. So, that's cool, 60 years. But we used to go on some primitive mission trips. And you've, you've done it, you've stayed in huts and you know, stuff like that. And some of those, it's amazing what you eat, you get served, you know? And, and they'll say it like this, Oh, God has provided a blessing for us. He has provided monkey brains. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Could you pass the salt, please? <laughs> I actually used to get dehydrated on these mission trips, and I found out Flying so long will dehydrate you. You need to drink a lot of water on long airplane flights. I wasn't drinking enough water. Sometimes you're, you're afraid to drink the water. Bottled water was not as available in some of these places. And then I salted everything, which was, uh, you know, drying me up. But salt makes things taste good. Okay, but how does salt, it says if salt loses its flavor, that's a, it's kind of a modern word, but savor is the word. How does it lose its savor? Okay. So loses its flavor or savor, loses its, okay, that's three English words, but it's actually one Greek word. And it's one Greek word made up of two Greek words. Okay, everyone follow me on that? It's one Greek word like, I was, uh, we have lots of words, like, um, um, I, 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 it probably would been good if I'd have done this when I was uh, preparing, came up with a really good example Boat lift, that's all I could think of. I kept thinking, that's not a good one. But like boat lift is one word, but it's made up of two words, right? So it's a, it's, it's a lift that lifts a boat. Everyone, okay, all right, hey, it wasn't that good. I'll figure something else out <laughs> before I ever do this message again. But okay, so, so there's a Greek word that is, or those three English words is one Greek word. But that Greek word is made up of two words, Okay. Uh, it's in the Bible four times, and obviously it's New Testament, New, New Testament Greek, Old Testament Hebrew. So it's in the New, New Testament four times. Twice it's the same verse, it's just repeated, and it's right here where Jesus says, if salt loses savor, but it's repeated in two different gospels. Okay, the other two, it's actually translated almost literally from the Greek. Doesn't say anything about loses its flavor. It's translated, you ready for the two words? Becomes Foolish. The, the main word is morano, which is where we get the word moronic or a moron, a foolish person. And if salt, you're the salt, but if you become foolish, you're not going to be able to influence anyone. So let, let me actually read you where one of the places it's translated. Romans 1, 21 and 22 says, because although they knew God, 
Notice they knew God. Everyone see they knew God? (laughs) Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. That's the same, that's the Greek word that's translated, if salt loses its savor, if salt becomes foolish. Okay, so how does salt become bad? In the natural, salt is right up, it's underground and it's right up next to the rock. Hopefully you, right there, you got it. First Corinthians says that that rock, they drank from the same water in the spirit in the desert and that rock was Christ. So it's right up next to the rock and it's purified by the washing of water over it. Hopefully you got that one too because Ephesians 5 says that we're washed by the water of the word. So the way you stay pure and see there's earthly elements, I'm talking about salt in the dirt now, there's dirt, there's other stuff that's in the soil, you know, and so it could become contaminated, but the way that salt stays pure is it stays right up next to the rock and allows the water to wash over it. Are y'all getting this? (laughs) Stay close to Jesus and in the word. Otherwise, all of us could end up doing something foolish. And if we do something foolish, we could lose our witness. Are are y'all following me? Because I really think this is good stuff. I mean, it this is okay. All right. No, you don't have to clap. Not now. It's too late. It's too late. <laughs> we're supposed to be an influence everywhere we go. So let me tell you a story I thought about because um, I was a little foolish in my influence, but it wasn't, I didn't do something bad. Okay. Let me just say that. But um, we were on an elders retreat with Shady Grove elders and we went snow skiing. We would meet in the mornings and pray and worship and talk about the vision of the church and all. And then we'd do something fun in the afternoons to relax and be friends together and and so we, we went snow skiing. And I, one of my friends um, uh, had never skied before. And so I was trying to help him. Um, and I'd check on him every now and then. He was on the bunny slope. Uh, he's six foot, six foot five, about 280 pounds, biggest bunny on the slope. And, um, and I kept checking on him. And all the kids had graduated. He was, still, he was the only one left on the slope. And, um, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to take him on the easiest green slope there is. And, and so I talked him into it, come on, it's okay, you know, it'll be all right. It, it turned out it wasn't all right, but it, it, I, try, I thought it might be. But when we were in the line, before we got on the chairs, he would just fall down. In the line. <laughs> we weren't even moving. He would be standing beside me, and then he'd go, and he'd just fall down. And I think, well, why did you, we weren't moving, you know? And one time when he fell, it was like the domino effect. He knocked over everybody in the line. <laughs> so we got ready to get on the chair. I said, and when the chair goes by, you got to go pretty fast. We got to get up there and get on the next chair, you know. So when the first chair went by, I took off, he fell. And a lady skied up beside me. I think she'd been watching, knowing he would fall, and sat on the chair. I'm watching the chair. I turn around, and there's this lady there. And she started talking to me and not in a good way. And uh, she started saying things about, you know, would you like to meet later and have drinks or something like that? And so I, I thought, I, I just, I, the first thing that came to mind was I said, um, I'm, I'm married. And she said, well, I am too. And I thought, you know, I've got I to do something kind of abrupt here because to cut this off, you know, 
And so this is what came to my mind. I just said, well, I'm married to two people. <laughs> and she said, oh, really? And she scooted over. You know, you can't go far on a ski lift, you know. She scooted over a little bit. And I said, yes. I said, and then I just thought, well, I'm already down this road. I'll just go. I said, I'm married to a woman and a man. She said, really? <laughs> she scooted over more, you know, and I, and so I said, yes, I'm married to a beautiful woman named Debbie and a wonderful man named Jesus. And then I shared my testimony with her and we had like 15 minutes, you know, and I, to the top, and I thought, listen, lady, you started it. So you're going to get the whole testimony and you're going to get the gospel and, you know, and it's 50 feet to the ground. So you're a captive audience. So just be an influence wherever you go, all right? Um, there are probably better ways, but all right, here's number two. You are light. You're salt, you are light. Now I could have said we, but I'm just using the um, pronoun that Jesus used, you, to make it personal to all of us. You are salt and you are light. Now here's what gets me. Uh, and this has happened to you. You read something in the Bible and you think, that reminds me of another verse. So when I read, you are the light of the world, it reminded me of another verse. The other verse was in John when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So I thought, no, we're not really the light of the world. You're the light of the world. And it's like the Lord said to me, did I say you're the light of the world? Yeah, you did, but you also said that you were the light of the world. Yeah, but I said you're the light of the world. So, so I, I had to go over to John 8 to figure it out. And I read John 8, and I didn't quite get it. And then I read John 9, and I got a little bit more. And then I got to John 12, and I got even more. So let me show you how Jesus can say, I am the light of the world, and then how he can also say, you are the light of the world, all right? So John 8, verse 12 says, then Jesus spoke to them again, it's because he has said this before, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 9, verse 5. Watch this carefully. As long as I am in the world, as long as I'm on earth, I am the light of the world. And then John 12, verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, okay, wait, before I look, take the scripture down for a minute because everyone will read it and not listen. All right. Um, you got to remember that John 12 begins to change. John 12, he begins to prepare them for the end. John 13, he washes their feet. John 14, 15, and 16 is the conversation at the Last Supper. Uh, John 17 is the prayer in the garden. John 18, he's arrested and tried. John 19, he's crucified. John 20, he rises from the dead and appears to his disciples. And John 21, he appears to his disciples eight days later. Okay, so John 12, he's beginning to tell them, I'm about to be taken out of the world. Are y'all following me? So that's important, all right? John 12, verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, now he's talking to his disciples, believe in the light, watch this, that you may become sons of the light. 
See, Jesus is not in his incarnate form, which incarnate means in the flesh. He's not in the flesh anymore as one person, but he's still in the flesh. <laughs> he's in us. As a matter of fact, it's so clear in Scripture, just to remind you, we are called the what of Christ? The body. We are the body of Christ on the earth right now. Jesus is not, the light is in us. So that's how he said, you're the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But when I leave, you're gonna be the light of the world. The only light this world will have will be you. And if you don't shine, if you put your light under a basket, then we're gonna be in trouble. I want you to think about that. If we don't, uh, as I said, serve on the city councils, if we don't vote biblical principles, if we don't speak up, our world is gonna to continue to decay. It's gonna get darker and darker. The only way our world's gonna get lighter and lighter is if we'll take the baskets off. And a whole bunch of people have baskets on. They have baskets of fear. You know, I'm afraid what would happen. They have baskets of shame. You know, I'm, I'm not worthy. Well, that's never been the argument. <laughs> You're not, he made you worthy. It's by his blood and that's why you can talk to someone else who's not worthy. So we gotta get the baskets off. We've got to become light. I uh, was in a prophetic presbytery one time. So most of you here have seen that and understand. And we, we prophesy over people and then we will we'll ask people to stand up. We give them like words in due season. Comes from scripture, a, a word uh, spoken in due season, fitly spoken due season, such a, a relief it is or blessing it is. So it's a good thing. So um, in other words, it's a word you need right then. So there was this couple and they were at the church and I administered to some and then I, I saw this couple and I heard in my mind, uh, in my heart, a word for this lady. What I didn't know was on the way to the service, her husband, she'd been transferred to a new department a few weeks earlier and, and her husband said, how do you like the new department? And she said, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm kind of wondering why God transferred me to that, new, that department. And he said, why? She said, well, the other department where I was, there were a lot of believers, a lot of Christians. And I really enjoyed working there. She said, I don't think there's one Christian in the new department. And she said, I just can't figure out why God would put me in such a dark place. So she tells her husband that. So during the service, I get this word and I asked her and her husband to stand up. And I said, uh, I just felt like that the two of you have been talking and you actually said to your husband, uh, that you've been new, moved to a new position and you said, God put me in this dark place and I don't know why I'm in this dark place. And they looked at each other and smiled. And I said, well, the Lord's gonna tell you why he put you in a dark place. You ready? She said, yep. I said, because it's a dark place. <laughs> and God looked down and saw a lot of lights in this department. And he looked at this other department full of people he gave his life for. And he thought, I need to put a light in this department. So he chose the brightest light he could find. And he put you in that department. I was back, I was back at that church one year later doing another prophetic presbytery. This lady came up to me with three ladies beside her, said, these three ladies work with me they've all accepted Christ this year. 
She was being a light. So let, let me just ask you, do you know why you work where you work? Listen to me. You say, well, it's because God uh, provides for me through that. No. That's not why God gave you the job you have. Because God can provide for you with ravens. He can send manna from heaven. He can get water out of a rock. He has no problem providing for you. <laughs> he makes his, 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 his streets are made out of gold. Okay, his found, the foundation of his house is, are diamonds and his gates are pearls. It's not because he's extravagant. It's just because it's just laying around, okay? <laughs> he has no problem providing for your children. He did not give you your job to provide for you. He gave you your job so you'd be a light in a dark world. Wherever you are right now, your coworkers are probably not going to go to heaven unless you can take your basket off. What, what about the neighborhood you live in? How many of you have moved to a new house or a new apartment, a new place of living, let's say within the last five to seven years? Can I see you and put your hands up? Okay. Did you pray? that God would lead you there? Did you pray and ask God, God, please, please give us the house, Lord, please, we want that house so bad. And God said, yes. You know why? Yes, he likes to bless his kids, but he puts you there to be an influence. He even worked miracles for some of you to get there. Right? Why? Light. It's a miracle. Now think about even these two elements of light and salt um, salt is an internal influence. Light is an external influence. Salt is a, a covert influence. It work, works over time. Uh, light is an overt influence. Uh, uh, salt is um, um, a subtle influence. Uh, light is an obvious influence. If you don't think light's an obvious influence, walk into a dark room and flip the light switch. Darkness goes immediately when light comes in. Uh, get up early tomorrow morning and watch the sun come up and, and see where all the darkness goes. I don't know if y'all heard about the guy that stayed up all night wondering where the sun went. It finally dawned on him. It's a bad joke. All right. <laughs> you are salt. You are light. Please hear me. If we don't do our job, the world's going to decay and it's going to go farther into darkness. Uh, I was on a hunting trip years ago in Colorado. Some of you have heard us talk about uh, James Robinson and I, uh, and a Bible teacher named Dudley Hall, some of us, we were taught uh, back in the 80s about deliverance from a carpet cleaner named Milton Green. And uh, we, we didn't know anything about demons and deliverance. and we'd, we'd been taught to kind of stay away from that subject. And this guy just taught us, and it actually helped us because we realized, hey, as believers, we, could, we can be in bondage. And, it, and it's the, a change that came in my life, James Robinson's life, Dudley Hall's life, others, you know, at that time. So we were on this deer hunt, and we had Milton there teaching us about deliverance. 
But it was a, a place where we hunted, where we would go to different sections. Colorado is divided into sections of land. And then, but the camp was all one place. So there were other men from other places there that were camping. So at night, we would meet men from other states or places, you know. So there was this one guy, Dudley Hall, and I started talking to him about the Lord. And he, he was real interested. He'd gone through some difficulties. He wanted to hear about the Lord. And so we got started talking to him. Well, one night, we got him right to the place of accepting Jesus. And he said, you know, I want to accept Jesus, but something's stopping me. I, I just don't know what it is. Something's stopping me. Well, for 30 minutes, we tried to reason with him. We did everything we could. And he just said, I, I, I know, but I just something's stopping me. Well, during that time, now remember, Dudley and I, are, we're professionals. We get paid to do this, okay? We know what we're doing, you know? And, but, it, but we weren't getting anywhere with this guy. Well, Milton walks up, who's a carpet cleaner. He's not a professional. He walks up, and this guy says, I, I, I won't accept Jesus, but something's stopping me. And Milton says, it's demons. <laughs> and Dudley and I thought, no. You don't bring up demons to a lost person. I mean, you wait till they get saved, sometimes two or three years before you talk about demons. You don't just spring demons on people like that, you know. And Milton says, they talk to you, don't they? He said, they tell you that you're worthy, you're unworthy, and you're no good. And they tell you about your childhood, and they bring back things your dad said to you. And he just starts, he says, like, and they tell you that the world will be better off without you. And he said, you'll be driving down the road, and, and the, uh, a demon will tell you, you ought to just ought to drive into a concrete pillar and just end it all. He said, you ever heard that? The guy said, yeah. And Milton said, you want to listen to the guy who wants to kill you, or you want to give your life to Jesus? The guy said, I want to give my life to Jesus. Dudley said to me later, I'm quitting the ministry. I can't even lead someone to Jesus. <laughs> what happened was light walked up. And Dudley and I had that light under our little traditional basket. You notice Jesus never strayed away from talking about demons. He just cast them out of people. And light walked up. And this guy said, something's stopping me. And Light said, it's demons, and they hate you. Are you going to keep listening to them, or are you going to get saved? I want every person that attends Gateway Church, I want us to be salt and light and change our world. And I think we can do it. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to just take a moment, like we do every weekend, and just say, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? Just take a moment and just say, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? Obviously, he wants us to influence those around us, maybe at a, our kids' or grandkids' ball games or at work or in the neighborhood. But I just want you to remember one thing. We don't have to produce the light. He's in us. Our responsibility is simply not to hide the light. Just let the light out. Stay close to the rock. Let the water wash us. And the salt and the light that God put in us spiritually will do its work. We want to pray for you. At every campus, if you're going through any difficulty, and we all go through difficulties, we all go through tough times, 
Maybe you get a, a tough medical report or uh, something happens at work or you get laid off or I don't know, but we all go through tough times. Maybe something in your marriage, your kids, your finances. Every week, if you need prayer, we want to pray for you and prayer changes things. Why would we not come and ask for prayer when we need prayer? So if you need prayer for any area of your life, no matter which campus you're attending or if you're in one of the overflow rooms, in just a moment at the front of every campus, front of every room, we're gonna have people who love you, care about you and wanna pray with you. And if you're on our altar ministry team, you, you come as quickly as you can so you'll be ready to minister. But if you need prayer for any area, and I just feel so strongly to say, if you're like that guy and you say, I wanna give my life to the Lord, but something's stopping me. I wanna encourage you, don't let the one who hates you stop you, which is the devil. Give your life to the one who loves you. And you can do that during this time also. And there'll be other people coming for prayer. So if you need to give your life to the Lord or back to the Lord, you can come during this time. Lord, I pray right now you'll draw every person at every campus that needs prayer in Jesus' name, amen.